0: Recording back in hot towers at last, welcome to Panda Pod. one and all to episode 439 of hand of pod there's nothing wrong with your media player speed i just uh, had to drag that out a bit because i realized i wasn't quite sure what number it was i'm sam kelly and this week i'm joined by santi hey guys and you'll notice for the first time since the pandemic began or at least since we came back uh to recording in person not by english dan because he is currently somewhere in europe I kind of hope for his sake that he's not in the UK oh, and that Jesus. he's already in Italy. Because if he is in the UK, I imagine that I mean, quite a lot it's, of it's his uh, content uh, has mean, been
1: ruined. At some part of this year, there was one of us during like the two main events surrounding the royalty. Like I, I was, there, I was in in the oh, UK during the during the Jubilee, on, yeah. and now Dan is in the UK during the yeah. the whole changing. Well, of he the might God be in things.
0: Italy because at some point on this trip, he was going to Italy. He was telling me what's wants to, oh, talk right. to get to an Inter match. Um, So, I hope for his sake that he's there already. (laughs) Anyway, um, we're recording in my flat again, which means that at some point in this episode, you might be lucky enough to hear Latrice, or you might be lucky enough to hear one of our voices, probably mine, uh, suddenly become much quieter when she walks between my mouth and the microphone. Uh, But for the moment, she's shut in the bedroom with my girlfriend, who's on the phone to her dad. So, we're just going to get started. There have been two rounds of matches since we last recorded. Uh, the results from those have been Central Córdoba two Lanús two Arsenal one Huracán one San Lorenzo one Rosario Central one Newells one Godoy Cruz two Banfield one Defensa y two Argentinos nil Platense two Tasheres one Racing one Tigre one River one Sarmiento 0, nil Gimnasia nil Barracas Central one Colón nil Independiente one Belés one Boca two Atlético Tucumán one. Unión nil Aldo Civi nil and estudiantes one patronato nil that was all uh, nearly two weeks ago. This last weekend, or rather, last weekend. Forget about the this uh, because we're almost on to a new weekend now. Huracán two Central Cordoba nil Lanús one Tigre two Rosario Central one Tacheres nil Aldo Civi one Sarmiento two Belés nil Newells one Racing one Argentinos nil Gimnasia three Independiente one. Patronato nil, Union nil, Platense nil Estudiantes nil, Colon 1, Boca 2, River 2, Barracas Central nil, Godoy Cruz 1, Arsenal nil, and 2 nil-nil draws to finish off with between Defensi Uticia and San Lorenzo and Atletico Tucuman and Banfield. Now, if you remember who was top of the league last time, then you will have noted that Atletico Tucuman have only picked up one point from their last two matches. Uh, we are also already well into round 18 uh, of matches. In fact, we're just about to watch, sorry Santi, Estudiantes versus Racing, because it's the more interesting looking of the two games that are on this <laughs> afternoon. Yeah, very, this evening, I should say. Uh, I the results so far this weekend, in inverted commas, because it started on Thursday night, week. Yeah. have been Independiente 3 Aldo CB 0, Union 1, Sarmiento 0, Argentinos 1, Rosario Central, sorry, Argentinos 2, Rosario Central 1, Barracas Central 2, Lanús 0, and Patronato 1, Platense 0, in a match that I caught various bits and pieces of, um, which was, uh, I think slightly more bad tempered than it really needed to be it was quite entertaining mm. um, Estudiantes versus Racing is about to kick off as I've just said as is Tigre versus Huracan but the standings at the moment which is the thing you're really interested in let's face it are Gimnasia and Atletico Tucumán absolutely dead level at the top of the league they have scored 19 goals and conceded 8 each not between them but you know what I mean uh, and they have 33 points each uh, uh, absolutely identical records 9, for, n- nine wins Six draws, two defeats. Behind them, in third and fourth place, not quite with identical records, are Huracán and Godoy Cruz. Both have 31 points. Huracán have scored 21 and conceded 12. Godoy Cruz have scored 21 and conceded 14. Further point back are Argentinos on 30 points. Um, And then on 29 points each are River and Boca. And wouldn't it be interesting if any of those teams were playing each other this weekend? Oh, hang on a second. <laughs> uh, this weekend, of course, is the Super Classico um, in the Bombonera, the first Super in the Bombonera with fans present uh, since like January 2020 or something. What, was there one in January? Remember I remember like in 2020, like
1: w- right before the pandemic, there was this thing that there were like a shitload of superclassicos in only a few
0: months time. Yeah, yeah. I remember. So I think there
1: were like one or two in 2020.
0: Yeah. Um, but I seem to remember one of those was, was in really, really early in the year, even though it was competitive and not a summer. Yeah, in
1: January, because there was, there was still this, um this, uh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting messed up with something. Anyway, something else. anyway. we will be go, previewing, go on,
0: go on. briefly previewing the yeah. Super Classic a little bit later. Um, we're not going to talk in depth about all of the last two and a bit rounds, obviously. But uh, I, I was having a look at some of the goals from last weekend, from round seventeen, uh, and in fact I caught a couple of the matches. And we should talk about sorry, Santi, but yeah, Junacia versus I, I Independiente uh, because of course it was the win coming from behind as well after Leandro Fernandez opened the scoring for Independiente with a pretty decent effort um, it was a win that took Gimnasia at the time top of the league and then obviously Arletico Dugaman got the draw later in the weekend and are now dead level as we said um, Benjamín Dominguez scoring mm. the pick of the goals to equalise for Gimnasia about 12 minutes before half time uh, Leonardo Morales scored one from a beautifully delivered free kick from way out on the touchline from Brian Aleman What a surprise! Probably the best free kick taker in the in the league now that Quintero's gone off the boil slightly. Well, Pulga is still in the. True. Yeah. So. True. Uh, and Nicolas Contine uh, scored the third. They were scored pretty close together. I think Quimnacir were three one up at, at half time. It was it was one one and Quimnacir yeah. scored both of their their two winning goals as it were uh, in the first 11 minutes of the second half um, not too happy with Independiente's performances Santi I'm guessing
1: well um, fortunately I missed the entire game Okay. <laughs> because uh, well I was uh, I was doing the whole weekend last weekend I was uh, I spent the whole of it in Misiones in fact uh, f- because of a walk trip so that meant that I could uh, finally keep my head off a uh, this kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, that game basically marked the sixth game in a row uh, for in the Falcione's Independiente without a win, a win which they wouldn't even get until the seventh game, which, fortunately, was that uh, routing of uh, relegation-bound and Locivi. Yesterday.
0: Yeah. As, as we record, it'll probably be a day and a half ago by the yeah. time this goes online. Exactly,
1: but, uh, yeah, I mean... What, what else can I say about Independiente at this point that I haven't already said before and about Falcioni and about, you know, everything that's going on in Independiente. Um, the thing is that uh, in the previous game, actually, the, that draw against Vélez, which also really, really stung because it looked like Independiente were, could be able to dominate that, dominate that game. They got a, an early lead and then they decided to just stop attacking altogether in the second half, which led to Vélez um, getting more and more chances, and eventually Sebastián Sosa making an absolute clown of himself and uh, facilitating the, the equalizer from Vélez in, in stoppage time, hmm. which I think it was at this point that independent Inter- in fans became really, really, really mad at Falcioni in particular because of this uh, these uh, choices and these changes he makes uh, during games the fact that he, you know, stops going, uh, stops seeking more goals or stops uh, or it actually takes, the pressure on, exactly right? inviting the pressure, but not even countering. Mm. Once you invite that pressure, it's just uh, trying to see the game out with a defense that is not built to see games out. Exactly, so. Um, So, yeah, I mean, basically you can just uh, copy and paste any Hand of Pod episode from last year, from the tail end of last year, and uh, put it right in here, and my
0: analysis would be exactly the same. Yeah, I think everybody, certainly all regular listeners, are going to have a pretty good handle on um, your opinions on that. Yeah. Um, One thing that I realised while Santi was talking then, and which you will probably have noticed as well as you were listening, is that it's time for me to apologise again for the traffic noise in the background, it's back. <laughs> One of the main reasons that we have been recording at Dan's uh really is that in spite of Dan's neighbours all being Porteño, it is still quieter to record at his place, uh which is inside the building, inside the block than it is to record here, where even with the windows closed you can clearly hear the traffic noise on the well, other side. Well you live next to an avenue. Exactly. As well so. Um so yeah. That's just something that you're going to have to put up with again this week that you haven't had for quite some time. So I hope that you, if you find it, uh, a little bit of nostalgia for you there. Uh, from Gymnasia's point of view, though, this was... The reason I wanted to talk about it was not only that this match yeah. sent Gymnasia top, but also it was one of the few matches in the last couple of weeks that I actually watched in pretty much its entirety. Um, and although I, I don't like saying it in front of a fan of uh, the go ahead, the loss, go ahead,
1: Lambustus no no I, no, I was no. gonna
0: say I, I thought it was a really good game um I thought that Gimnasia played I mean as as befits a team who are winning to go top of the league Gimnasia yeah. played really well um but it was it was pretty entertaining like Independiente's issue as you said they they did sit back far too much especially later on but until they started doing that it was kind of end to end and chances especially mm. the first half not maybe not quite so much the second but it was pretty good. As a, as a neutral, it's always entertaining as well when, when you get a team coming from behind to, to win. Exactly, you know, especially a team like
1: Gimnasia, which, of course, uh, I think Gimnasia is just in the same way that Atletico Tucumán are doing so as well. They're kind of capturing the imagination of, uh, of most neutral fans because of the fact that, I mean, this is a, a title battle between two teams who have never won a first team
0: title in their history. That's not true. Himnasia won in 1929. Uh, ah, yeah, well, not in the professional era at yeah. least. I, I just I, wanted to correct you because, yeah, uh, exactly. as we've mentioned before several times on this pod, even Gymnasia fans will agree with what you said and say, yeah, we've never won the title, yeah. in spite of the fact that they won one <laughs> in 1929. Exactly, well, I have, um, to, I have to clarify
1: that I'm talking about, of course, a professional era mm. of, of football in Argentina, but, well, yeah, two teams that have never won a title in this era and um I think Gimnasia a little bit more than atletico because of their own style of play, which uh I think it's a lot more you know um i would say progressive than atletico, which I still think that atletico is are a pretty effective counter attacking team but uh even saying so the um, the talent that uh, Gimnasia has um in attack, especially with Brian Aleman being there like their the leader in that sense it's uh it's really capturing the imagination of people in in that sense because of uh, not just uh, the fact that the gymnasia are in a title challenge for the first time in ages, maybe twenty five years or something, but also um, well the fact that they also have managed to combine that with uh, with some pretty good young players. Something that Atletico Tucuman are really adept at as well, uh, and well if they if they they're much more of a of a team that scores more goals than Atletico, which uh, whose strengths are mostly in their really really tight
0: defense. Well, I mean, if, uh, as I said earlier, they do have exactly the same record in terms of goals. And yeah, I'm talking about what uh, what we've seen
1: throughout. <laughs> I think the the the, the tournament the attempts I think, they uh,
0: make exactly rather than necessarily the, <laughs> the, the numbers. Comes in, yeah. yeah, the numbers themselves, which.
1: Yeah, I think it kind of defeats my whole analysis yeah. <laughs> of what I've just said. No, but but I like they you mean. reminded me that they they're, they're identical records. Watch.
0: They're better to watch, and so it's kind of odd to to, find, to look at them and find that, yeah, they've actually somehow managed to score and concede the exact same number of goals, um, yeah. but very different routes to scoring and conceding those goals.
1: Yeah. And also, um, yeah, I... I was also a little bit disappointed in Atletico's uh, performance against uh, Boca for this, for this specific reason because of uh, the way they, have, they had taken the lead and uh, the fact that maybe they could be forgiven for, you know, sitting back a little too much and uh, inviting Boca, which eventually I think led to the to the winner, even if there was a lot of controversy in terms of the refereeing uh, when it came to at, at least Boca's winner. Mm-hmm. Remember
0: that. Lately.
1: I think it was a, a, a penalty call I think was it? yeah was it, was it then? I think so yeah mm, right but yeah but I, I remember at least that there was uh, a lot of contention in that, in that sense that uh, some the, there was a call that uh, was went completely wrong uh, for Atletico and uh, that really
0: really uh, benefited Boca in that specific game uh, let's have a look. Hang on. Boca's winner was an 87th minute one from Luca Langoni. Right. Adams. No, no, no. It, it was... came back off. The, it was a long shot from way outside the box that um, the goalkeeper pushed away and straight onto Langoni's foot. Basically, and he, he scored it.
1: Ah, right. No. So, so maybe it was like a sending off that uh, Boca was spared. I I don't know exactly what what was it, but it, I remember
0: it being really controversial when yeah. it happened. Okay, so Latrice has just joined the uh, club, <laughs> as you'll hear from this slight note of fear in Santi's voice as she <laughs> in to see who this is. Um, but, uh, yeah, the other thing I wanted to remark on was, as I mentioned already, the best goal of, of that match between Gimnasia and Independiente was Gimnasia's equaliser from Benjamín mm. Domínguez who a is yeah. approximately 11 years old. <laughs> like, Or at least he looks it. I've just looked him up because his profile on SofaScore does not have an age. I think pretty much everybody else's does, right? Like, he's like, like 17 or 18. And you go to that, you, you tap their face. And yeah, it says how old they are. You know, Leonardo Morales is 31 years old. Benjamin Dominguez is 10 days away, it turns out, from his 19th birthday. Um, and he looks young for that. Uh, but he certainly knows how to connect with a football uh, and a swinging leg. So congratulations to him for that goal, and indeed for helping to take his team top of the league. Um, and yeah, I mean, you've all heard us wax lyrical about Brian Alman's left foot before, and his set piece delivery. We've been doing it for years. Um, and, and just just have a look for him. two first goals. I would say against Independiente if you've not seen them already, because Dominguez's one is just a golazo and the, the one to go 2-1 up is not like it was an absolutely brilliant goal it was just mm. a really nicely delivered set piece from as I said earlier way out on the touchline um, and yeah just classic free kick routine lovely stuff um, elsewhere in the league the I think the other main talking point right was Rivers especially first goal I, I didn't see this match live um so I was slightly disappointed when I did see the goals later on, <laughs> because the headlines all said that River scored two golazos. And really, yeah, the second was, one was just like, yeah, okay, that's well taken. It, was, over, golasos, it was oversold. It? Proper I mean, centre-forward finish, low cross, trap, score, bang, short. It's not a golazo. <laughs> the first goal was a half-the-length-of-the-pitch run from Nicolás Dominguez with a 1-2 from Lucas Beltran to take him Nicolás into the Dominguez. box. Nicolás Dominguez. Uh, Nicolás de la Cruz, sorry. <laughs> I've got Sorry. Dominguez on the brain. Yeah. Um, Nicolás de la Cruz with a 1-2 to take him into the box with Lucas Beltran and then a really nice turn and finish. Uh, and it was a I so it was one of the best of the weekend. Uh, it takes River... Oh, I was about to say up, but I think they were actually sixth already, weren't they? Uh, before that weekend. Oh, I can't remember. It keeps River, let's say, in sixth place. They might even have been fifth at one point, I can't remember. Um, yeah, they were no,
1: they were fifth at, until, I think, uh, Argentinos played today. No, or, or oh, of yesterday. course, yes, because
0: african have already played and won. The yeah, sport, they, they, they won, yeah. Um, yesterday. Yeah, you're quite right. They beat Central. Uh, so, yeah. There we go. And at the moment, having said that 6th and 7th were River and Boca, right now, minutes later, Rassing are now between them in 7th place because, of course, they kicked off against the Estudiantes and are currently drawing. But we'll see how this all turns out by the end of the game. Um... But, yeah, one of the things that the media here always focus on, of course, they always focus on River and Boca anyway, right? Mm. But especially the weekend before the Super Classico, uh they always talk about how both teams do this <laughs> right before the Classico. <laughs> yeah. um, Boca uh, got a pretty decent, a pretty hard-fought result. Goals from Norberto Briasco. Uh, yeah, and- American, um, I mean, that's something you won't hear very often, I think. No, indeed, yeah, I mean, he's- <laughs> considering he's It is like his second goal for Boca ever. Yeah, and 20-year-old Luca Langoni, who I just mentioned a couple of minutes ago, because he scored both of the goals against mm-hmm. Atletico Tucumán the previous yeah. week, so he scored three and two matches, and I've got to admit, before the Atletico Tucumán match, it was not a name that I had heard. I don't know how many games he's played. He's played eight eight matches this season, which gives you an yeah, idea of how much I think it's I like uh,
1: 240 minutes, something like that, so that's a little, like, bits and pieces from those eight, eight matches. Yeah,
0: and if Sofa scores stats are to be believed, this is his first season in their first team. Um, yeah. Which also makes some sense, because this is probably the season I've been paying the least attention to uh, <laughs> matches. As all of you will already be aware, because you've all listened to this podcast before, uh, <laughs> those were either side of a penalty from Luis Rodriguez, who, as we mentioned already, is one of the best deliverers of set pieces in the league. And um, in fairness, I would not put this penalty up to... Uh, as evidence for that claim, because he just mm. smashed it straight down the middle of the goal. A perfect height for the goalkeeper mm. to save, had the goalkeeper just stood there and let it hit him in the bollocks. But as it was, of course, the goalkeeper dived. Yeah, most goalkeepers go won't, won't stay
1: on, in the middle of uh, the goal to get hit in the bollocks.
0: No, so I feel like Rodriguez goes down the middle with his penalties more often than most strikers do, though. Yeah, but that's a smart choice, I think. Oh, I'm not saying it's It's Exactly because of this reason. But I am saying that if I were a goalkeeper who, you know, paid attention to opposing centre-forwards, I think I'd be inclined to just stand there and cross my legs when Mm. he hit the ball. Yeah,
1: it's also, uh, it's funny because uh, I think uh, Pueblo Rodriguez has now, I mean, there was a time in which uh, Pueblo Rodriguez used to, you know, hit penalties with that little jump before and I think once he got caught out by goalkeepers once he made that jump you know in this, in this amount of way to most players who do that right now yeah. I think most of them get caught out at the moment but uh, once he he saw that he started hitting the penalties a lot harder than he used to mm. so kind of like a, like a defender would that's yeah. why they are so so trusted in penalty shootouts so I think that's uh something that made him even better at uh, scoring penalties
0: Indeed, yeah, he's getting up to his goal-scoring touch back a little bit as well, because mm-hmm. up until pretty much when we last recorded, or maybe the last but one episode, he only had one goal this season in the league, uh, but he's now scored three in his last three matches. He scored twice against Colón back on the 20th of August, yeah. which I think would have been... Two or three weeks ago. ...before we last recorded, yeah. but after the recording before that, if you see what I mean... <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, in
1: fairness, uh, Colon have been shit for most of the year, haven't yes. they? So
0: yeah, they've not been fantastic. Uh, so yeah, but he's finding his way back onto the score sheet now, and of course mm-hmm. that is good for Colon as well because if he's scoring, if he's not scoring goals, I should say, it's much less likely that anybody else on that team is, is going to be scoring them. Yeah, it doesn't amount. look like
1: Juancho Chope Avile is going to score a lot more goals time soon.
0: Yeah, I'm just. At least up, unless up. unless then, as he remains onside. He is the only player with more goals than Rodriguez, but he's only got five goals, yeah, given that exactly. he's playing as the main striker, <laughs> and Rodriguez is playing as the second striker. Because, uh, you know, after that, it's Facundo Farias, who's the third top scorer, and he's probably not a player who should be playing at this level. Oh, no, wait, that's a different Facundo Farias. No, that's the same confused. Facundo
1: Farias we've, we've been talking about all year. somebody
0: much older. Who was I thinking of?
1: No, 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 El Tecla.
0: Yeah. Ernesto. And Nesta, of course, yes. Yeah, Fagundo the the Farias yes, is, is, the, the, the is the kid who has son. been yeah, yeah. royally fucked up by his agent. Of course, yes. I was forgetting that. I don't know why I thought Tecla Farias was still playing. Been, <laughs> uh, he must be about 50. Anyway. Um, Just waiting for the scores to load up again so I can remind myself what else happened at the weekend. Uh, oh, that's last weekend. That, that's the, <laughs> Sorry, that's not last weekend. That's the weekend before last. Um... Any others to talk about, Santi? You got anything else on your mind? Well, actually, today um, we've had
1: uh, another issue with, um, well, another defeat by Lanús, who will look more and more threatened by relegation, I think, with every passing mm. uh, with, with every passing week. But also, uh, once again, uh, Lautaro Costa has been uh, the subject of, uh, of the news because uh, at the end of that game... I don't know if you saw this, but he was um, really, really mad at Pablo Mocha for some reason.
0: Oh, I saw um, this out the corner of my eye because... So one of the things that I'll let you in, uh, our listeners, just uh, behind the curtain, <laughs> is that uh, we're recording on Friday evening because nobody was able to record here on Thursday evening uh, this week. And so Andres uh, emailed me last night and said I can record there like if there's nobody else, but I've got somewhere else to be, so I have to do it mm. really early. Uh, So me and Andres had arranged to record here this evening, starting at half past six. Um, Santi then emailed just a few hours ago saying that he could make it, but he couldn't make it until about half past seven or eight o'clock. So I said to Andres, well, okay, you can have the night off and I'll record with Santi. Mm. And Andres read night off and read this to understand that this was all going to work out fine because he'd be done by the night so he turned up at my flat at 6.30, at which point my girlfriend had just started putting the Hoover around. I was still working, and I was like, what the hell are you doing here? So Andres and I, earlier on, have already recorded this week's Hand of Pod Extra for our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Hand Pod, if you would like to become one of those. Um, and we're, we're recording during this match. So I saw that incident at the mm-hmm. end of the game out the corner of my eye while we were talking about national team stuff and did not really register what was going on.
1: Oh yeah, apparently he was like really really mad at Pablo Moche. He was like talking to him and then uh one of the TV cameras came closer. Uh I think it was moaning maybe about some something a, a kick or something like that. And uh, just when the T V cameras were were coming this guy just grabbed the camera and shoved it around. Oh wow. Well. Yeah. It's kind got of gotcha. a yeah, oh wow well. chacotage gotcha. Once again, uh, Lauchagosta being the news for exactly the wrong reasons. Hmm. At least he didn't bit the shit out of the cameraman, just like he did in the World Cup in South Africa. But uh,
0: <laughs> remember that. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> um, after the week after scoring a really good goal as well against Tigre, albeit in a two-one defeat. Um, but have a look for that one. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean the,
1: the the. Pressure is really, really building on uh, Lanus. I think they the they've also been the target of some incidents as well, a couple of fires. Yeah. Again, I, I think that there wasn't uh, many, you know, means of transport this time around, but there was still a lot of anger among supporters hmm. who feel like, um, I mean, things could
0: get really difficult for Lanus next year. So. Yeah, I'm just looking at the relegation table now. They are. Bottom. I was about to say rock bottom, but they're only one point behind Belis. albeit will Still have to play this weekend. But this is um, uh, the, of the league but table. But in yeah. the um, relegation table, Lanusa nineteenth out of twenty-eight. They're not going to be relegated this season. Well, look, um, look, look. Next season. But exactly, yeah. Next season, they would currently start in twenty-second. Which with two with f- four relegations, uh, they would only be a couple of places. Uh, two three positions above the relegation zone and not in good form um, not in good form at all so it's a big worry for them especially with you know I'm just looking two promote,
1: promoted teams uh, Lanus are going to be losing slates. Lanus so. are going to
0: be losing a 56 point campaign from oh hang on no maybe they're not because this is just 21 and 22 here so if they're still keeping it to three seasons all, nobody's mm. going to be losing any of these points are they uh, so forget that but they are going to be just three points above the relega- three positions above the relegation zone, um, and they're going to have a few teams coming up, uh, two teams coming up at least, who are not going to be dividing their points by yeah, any match come with the a start of the season. So if, if if either of those teams get off to a good start, then it screws everybody above them. Pretty um, much, yeah. As as long term listeners will be aware, we've talked about that a lot of times on on this podcast. Yeah, I, I, as I say, they're not going to go down this season but I think that almost makes it worse in some ways. And it's another reason I don't like the Promedio system, is that teams can get stuck in a rut and without the immediate threat of relegation, you can end up with them going, Yeah, you know, they kind of take their foot off the gas. Some of those players simply aren't going to be there next season. They're going to be at a different club. And so they're not that bothered about keeping this club up. Yeah, that's
1: pretty much how River in the paint, got relegated, for example. Yeah. Like uh, keeping this... Uh uh, constant mediocrity I, around I think, the team
0: until I think in, the water gets all in, the way down to their necks in both Rivers and Independientes cases there was also added to that a, a pressure to stay up hmm. in the final season you know the season they ultimately got relegated in that was uh, that really didn't help because that was suffocating you know, I, mean, yeah, I was obviously uh, and, and I when was you look much at, more of a you, fan uh, of River yeah. back in 2011 than I am am today, where I'm just a sympathiser. <laughs> uh, but I remember the mood around the club you know, going to matches that season. The whole thing was just absolutely incredible that Eric Lamela, this 17 or 18-year-old kid, having all of the pressure of the world heaped mm. on his shoulders as the main playmaker in the season, the biggest club in the country ended up being relegated in but were fighting against it the whole time Uh, the pressure that the players had to play under is at least something that Lanús's players aren't going to have the same degree of expectation yeah but for the mere fact that they're Lanús purely from what Lanús have managed to do in the last decade decade and a half or so they're still going to be a club who are going to be under certain scrutiny because they shouldn't be anywhere near the relegation mix with the structures they've put in place yeah absolutely Absolutely, but
1: uh, well, as, as much as uh, as much much success as Lanús have uh, have achieved in the last fifteen years since they won the the championship in two thousand and seven, they won uh, a, another one in twenty sixteen, a Sudamericana in twenty thirteen, a Libertadores final five years ago. Yeah. But it's uh, I think it's been clear for every, each of us to see how all those structures have been dismantled, and how they. I didn't. Uh, I. I don't think they really uh, took advantage of the even the, the good batch of uh, youngsters they've uh, produced in the last in the last few years. I think uh, Jose Manuel Lopez could have gotten a lot a really better sale than he got, and Pedro de la Vega's progress has really really been stalled. Mm. Uh, so, so yeah. I mean, it's it's a team that I've of course grown accustomed to seeing in in the first division. Uh, pretty much for my whole life. And, uh, I mean, it's really, really not a common thing at all for them to be struggling so much. But given what we've seen in the last few years, it's also not a surprise,
0: you know. No, indeed. Um, I think we'll take a half-time break at this point. When we come back, we're going to discuss... Sorry to any bellas fans who are listening. The semi-finals of the Copa Libertadores. And... As you will have uh, guessed, if you don't already know the results from that apology, it was not particularly pretty viewing if you just want the Argentine club to win, regardless of who the Argentine club are. For now, don't go away. OK, the other matches that have taken place since we last recorded, and in fact, the reason really that we didn't record last week, uh, was that we were going to be right in the middle of the semifinals of the Copa Libertadores de América. Mm. And the matches uh, in those semifinals, of course, involve one all-Brazilian uh, tie and one... Argo-Brazilian. Uh, I mean, if you watch
1: those games, Argentina. you would still be a no brazilian tie.
0: Yes, exactly. So. <laughs> uh, effectively, there were three teams involved in the semi-finals of the Copa Libertadores, and none of them were Argentine, uh, because Vélez got completely wiped out. The scores in the first legs last week were Atletico Paranaense 1, Palmeiras 0, uh, Atletico Adaman sent off, Belles nil Flamengo four, and then last uh, or this week I should say, Palmeiras, uh, the home team had a man sent off as well in their semi-final, uh, and drew two two with Atlético, which means that the reign of terror in South America is over. Palmeiras won't be winning a third consecutive Libertadores, Neither the winner pulled a Portuguese for the first time since oh, yeah, 2018. Uh, Flamengo might make it so it could go Flamengo Palmeiras Palmeiras Flamengo in terms of winners and in fact it probably will because they're probably favourites against Atletico in the final Um, but it won't be as Santi says another Portuguese manager uh, in the second leg in the Maracanã Flamengo uh, went 1-0 down if I remember rightly I think Lucas Prato scored the opener didn't he? Yeah, 20 minutes in Uh, but Flamengo equalised shortly before half time through Pedro and Mourinho um scored, did that hit the post and go in off the goalkeeper or something, or am I misremembering?
1: Um, I don't remember that. Anyway, he case.
0: scored with about just over 20 minutes to go to make it 2-1 to Flamengo. Uh, the commentators at one point in that second half were praising Vélez's performance. They were saying that Flamengo were finding it uh, much less of a walkover than they did in the first leg, that that, that they hadn't had anywhere near as many chances, that Belis were doing much more attacking. And I was like... Yeah, that's a lot of that is because Flamengo fawned <laughs> it up from the first leg, mate. Like, like if you no never seen two-legged footballs before? Of course, Flamengo <laughs> are busting a gut. Um, the moment that that Velez went ahead, Flamengo just seemed to go, oh yeah, I suppose we should try and win against our own, you know, in front of our own fans and everything, even mm. though we could still lose this 3 0 and we'll be fine." Um, and I guess to an extent, you have to be aware that when you're playing in the Copa Libertadores. There's always the risk that something ridiculous might happen, and you could end up going out. But it was never really in doubt.
1: Yeah, I don't think so. I I, I was actually I at mean, at the. Uh, at the uh,
0: yeah. If if you're playing in a major semi-final in the Maracanã and you've got David Luiz at the heart of your defence, you couldn't possibly get embarrassed, could you? Yeah. That's just never happened to any. David Luiz and uh,
1: and late career Philippe Louis as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, I was I was actually at the Amalfitani when, when that game happened. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it was... Uh, was this for work? Or? Yeah, it was Oh, hang was on, this reminds
0: work. me. Sorry, going back to something you said in the first half. Yeah. Nothing to do with this game. Y- you're going to be in Missiones for work. I you was. You were in missiones, was in missiones for work. I was in Missiones for work. Have you got a side hustle that we don't know about, or was this football
1: work? No, no, this is also football work. In Missiones? Yeah. I was I was covering uh, this is going to sound crazy. I was covering uh, a youth tournament organized by Bayern Munich in Misiones.
0: <laughs> I have questions. <laughs> so, first of all, um, lots of people, especially those who haven't visited Argentina. Uh, won't really have much of a clue where Misiones is. I, I suspect that some people who have visited Argentina won't have much of a clue where Misiones is, even oh, really, though they might have been to the most famous bit of it.
1: Maybe some long-time kind of board listeners as yeah. well.
0: Um, so Misiones is is the province that sticks up, the, the Argentine province that sticks up right up in the northwest between Brazil and Paraguay. If you've been to Iguazu Falls, then you have been to the very edge of Misiones province because it, it's the most northerly bit of that. Um, But apart from Sherba trees and absolutely colossal waterfalls (laughs) there's nothing else there. Why? What? Bayern Bayern are organising a youth tournament in Misiones.
1: Yeah, and not only that uh, they've organised this youth tournament because they uh, selected 10, 16 year old kids from this tournament to compete and represent Argentina in a more kind of global Bayern-selected World Cup that will take place in October in Munich
0: now look I and, and, <laughs> and I think we, we've covered enough Argentine football in the nearly 12 year history of this podcast Estudiantes just as I was talking have Gone 1-0 up against Racing by the way um, for us all to be fam- familiar with and comfortable with the argument that Buenos Aires is not necessarily the centre of the world in Argentina yeah. but if I were Bayern I would Probably be looking to arrange a youth tournament between kids from Santa Fe and Entre Rios provinces, yeah. rather than a province where there aren't any people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, and I would tend to agree. But apparently, this was a, a pretty smart move by the by the government government of Misiones, who basically beat uh, Buenos Aires to. Um, Having uh, related international relations with Bayern and uh, making this tournament happen in specifically in Misiones instead of like broader. Oh, so it's
0: not just kids from Misiones.
1: No, no, no. It, it is just kids from Misiones, but okay. it's not like that in the rest of the world, where Bayern turned to organize this kind of tournaments. They just beat them, beat everyone else to it, in a way. Okay, but uh, actually, the whole the whole tournament was took place in the Crucero del Norte stadium. So it was particularly impressive for the the better teams to be playing like uh, possession based football and um, you know making these quick transitions in Crucero del Norte. Crucero
0: del Norte so famously did. Exactly. In Crucero <laughs> del
1: Norte's uh, famous turf.
0: Yeah. There's
1: wow. really high, really dense turf.
0: So before we go back to the Libertadores semi-finals, yeah. it, have you written anything about this that people who read Spanish can?
1: I mean, uh, I did write an out. article like uh, telling a bit in general about the tournament and uh, how uh, how it took place, and maybe uh, I spoke a little bit with the uh, the Bayern scout that was in Argentina. It was originally actually supposed to be Ser Roberto. But he had to cancel at the very last minute because he had a commitment with the Brazilian media. Mm-hmm. So they sent someone else, um, a Cameroon, a Cameroonian guy. Okay. Who uh, was really, I, I really like that guy. He he seems to know, uh, he seemed he seemed to know exactly what he was looking for, and uh, he was really approachable.
0: Uh, but yeah, uh, you can read about it in uh, La Nacion please send me a link I'd yeah. love to and, uh, I will I will. perhaps a more detailed discussion of this tournament could be a subject for a future 100 extra <laughs> uh, but anyway back to the, um, the the Libertadores semifinals you were at the first leg of Vélez yeah. Flamengo uh, goals there after half an hour from Pedro af- right on the stroke of half time from Eveton Gimeiro uh, another one after an hour from Pedro, so he kind of made a bit of a habit of scoring almost every half hour because he then completed his hat-trick, un- annoyingly, <laughs> rather before the 90th minute, but in the 83rd minute. Um, he was on, obviously he was, he was the man of the match. Um, but what did you make of Flamingo as a whole? Well,
1: there was uh, this huge uh, discussion in the, in the preview of that game because uh, in a incredible showing of uh, Uruguay and ASM, in a way by <laughs> Alexander Medina, mm-hmm. he tried to stifle uh, Flamengo's uh, interplay in a way by m- turning the Vélez turf into
0: an absolute. I mean, it wasn't the most pristine pitch that a Libertadores match has ever been played on.
1: No, not at all. Not only that, but they they then also watered the pitch like right before the game started, which meant it was a lot muddier hmm. than the
0: average uh, first division team pitch, in a way. And uh, it's a shame for Belis really that that match wasn't being played last night because they wouldn't have needed to water the pitch.
1: Oh, absolutely! It would have been even worse. Yeah, it would have been like uh, one of those, uh, you know, those uh, Ronaldo compilations at Inter in the nineties that he, yeah. played, he played. in like uh, brown pitches. Something like that. Uh, but anyway, what uh, Flamengo decided to do once presented with this difficulty is just play like one-touch football, but uh, with long passes, mm. which was uh, the way in which they scored the second, which is an absolute beauty. I don't know if you remember it. They played these uh, really uh, flicks between the uh, between the defense. The second was the one that wasn't scored by Pedro. Exactly. Oh yeah, yeah. You remember now, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think right up, right up until that second goal, it was kind of a um, end-to-end game. I think Um, Belles were, I think, um, not exactly effective in front of goal. They missed a couple clear chances, but in a bit they were they were into it. They they were you know um, making a, a rather decent showing. But once that second goal came in, they were completely defeated. It seemed like uh, Flamengo had every trick of the slave they played. They were too, way too much for them. And uh, in a way, the the disparity that uh, had also been discussed like previously when you talk about the squads and the, the economic differences, the fact that Flamengo have built possibly the greatest squad in South America and they've also made a profit, which is... Baffling, uh, bafflingly good. Actually, um, those differences—they uh, were there on show for everyone on the pitch in that second half, especially.
0: Yeah, I kind of felt like, as you said, the first half was about as even as we had, you know, hoped it was going to be. Obviously, we were all sticking up for the Argentine team. But I don't know whether you were actually, but speaking for me, I, I was sticking up for the Argentine team even though I didn't think they had much of a hope. Mm. But yeah, like before half time, I was like, well, well they're doing, you know, better than I thought, but they'll be quite annoyed to have conceded the goal to make it 2-0 that late in the first half. Yeah, and the and the manner and of the goal the as moment, it was
1: it was uh, yeah. it was the kind of goal that you would never see in Argentina right now. I yeah. think
0: so. But then from the moment the second half kicked off, it was just it was just all Flamengo and you were, even before the third goal went in, the third goal was always coming. And then it was a case of, rather than Cam Vélez get back into this and maybe salvage a draw, it was Cam Vélez scoring a goal to, yeah. to remain in the tie. And then, of course, they conceded another one relatively late in the game and it was 4-0. And it's like, right, I mean, that's just game over now. There's, and it there should almost, have been more. There was almost no point in going out there for the second leg. And they did, in fairness, although I've already taken the piss out of the commentators for going, oh, they're much better than, than last week. Vélez um, did manage to... Put up a fight and, and to you know to go out with some dignity at least because it would have been so tempting to just to not bother right you're four nil down. I two. mean the the dignity is a little bit you know <laughs> relative.
1: Yeah. But uh, yeah, you could say it was a bit of a dignified kind of a exit. But uh, once you've already scored four in your own in your own stadium. In your first time in a Libertadores semifinal in eleven years, and on the day that uh, uh, a twenty-eighth anniversary of their only Libertadores triumph was was taking place. Oh, was it? Oh, yeah, well. it was uh, exactly twenty-eight years late, to the to the day. No, no, no. Late in the year. Yeah, August thirty-first. Oh, wow. huh. uh, their win against Sao Paulo to win their only Copa Libertadores yeah. in nineteen
0: ninety-four. Oh well, I didn't realize it was held in late August back then. Um, but yeah, I mean, the thing that stuck out though was the fact that for all of is battling, even then, Lucas Prato's goal to open the scoring, which was 21 minutes in, mm-hmm. was after, I was going to say an extended period of Flamengo domination. I think it was basically Flamengo had been dominating for the first 21 minutes of the match, and then Belis went up the other end and scored with basically their first shot of the game. Yeah. Um... And after that, they kind of got into the game a little bit and they had a few chances on the counter and stuff. But even so, it was still just like... Yeah, I mean, as as I already said with the commentators, you're like, yeah, okay, fine. They're doing better than they were last week, but that's because Flamengo are yeah. sitting on a four-goal cushion.
1: <laughs> I mean, it it was uh, they were doing as as well as Flamengo allowed them to be. Indeed, I think.
0: Now so. the other match, obviously, normally we would not talk about ties not involving Argentine sides, but it's the semis of the Libertadores. So I think we can allow ourselves a little bit of pleasure because the other thing is that the other tie was very closely fought. Uh, it was never going to be particularly pretty because it involved Palmeiras, but... And Luis Felipe Scolari on the other end. Ex- yes, indeed, yeah. But the um, the first leg was settled by a goal from Alex Santana about mm. halfway through the first half. And, the set w- and I didn't see very much of that first leg. I happened to be watching it while, when the first goal was scored, but I, that was pretty much all I really saw of it. Uh, but the second leg, I made a point of watching all of it, and it was tremendous entertainment I don't know whether you caught any of it um, yeah, but I, was, I was not fortunate to, to caught any of that it was brilliant so Palmeiras scored very very early on indeed from Gustavo Scarpa like two or three minutes in to level things up on aggregate um, and they then went 2-0 up on the night and 2-1 up on aggregate I did see that goal half. though
1: which was incredible it yeah, was yeah. a really long throw in and Gustavo Gomez was a brilliant header and Back then it felt like
0: Palmeiras had something of a divine right to be in the Copa Libertadores final. It's just like this is is what Palmeiras have been doing for the last two years, three years really, in the the Libertadores. Um, And they're going to do it again. They're going to be back in the final. We've seen this story already several times in the last couple Mm. of years. Uh, But then Pablo made it to... Well, equalised on aggregate is the simplest way of putting it, from Atletico... Um, to make it 2-1 and five minutes to go and David Terrans made it 2-2 on the night and what a goal that was as well Atletico yeah with a brilliant goal um, with just five minutes left and it, it, it was just it was tremendous because I, I know that obviously you know Scolari is on the Atletico bench but Palmeiras are just just like it, on a continental level that, that, that mm. kind of you know they're, they're the, the bad guys to such an enormous extent <laughs> uh, especially after becoming the first team in well the first team in this century at least to win two consecutive Libertadores and to do it while playing no, yeah, the, sec- the second
1: football. one actually
0: Boca sorry yes yeah, so right the first team since Boca in 2003 and 2004 right? no two, so, 2000
1: and 2001
0: that's yes that's why I thought it was such a long time in over 20 years uh, and to do it while winning while playing such ugly football <laughs> it yeah. was quote
1: unquote ugly. It was uh, I wouldn't call it ugly. It was it was still effective, and they they did win those two Copa Libertadores. They had to win it in some way. Uh, but yeah, uh, you could call it ugly.
0: Yeah, I think I would call it ugly. I'm more than happy to call it ugly. <laughs> um, they're, they're not, you know, Flamengo are nice to watch. Oh, absolutely. But, uh,
1: yeah, but also Flamengo so. have such a better squad than Palmeiras as well. Yeah, but uh... yeah, that's
0: true. Um, and yet Palmeiras are the ones who've won two straight Libertadores. Hmm. So there you go. Uh, but also, you know, I, I kind of, you do ha- you, Obviously, I'm playing this up a little bit. You know, there's a bit of pantomime villain going <laughs> on here. But having won two in a row, and then reach the semis and come so close to the final, of a third, is astonishing. Because when you think back to that final the first ever one off Libertadores final um, in Lima yeah. between River and Flamengo when River was so close to winning uh, a second in a row back in 2018 and had done it had, had got to the 90th minute with a 1-0 lead by you know everybody saying Flamengo were the heavy favourites Flamengo have got the most expensively assembled squad in South American club history they've got Jorge Jouche as the manager and all the rest of it, River are thoroughly second favourites, and River played them off the pitch. And then Flamengo got those two goals from essentially from River mistakes in midfield, and Flamengo counters both in stoppage time. Um, that really shows, you know, that to me just, just reinforces actually what an impressive uh, achievement it is to win this coffer twice in a row, even in these days when increasingly now, particularly if you're a Brazilian side a big Brazilian side, like Palmeiras or like Flamengo, you have more chances to, to reach the final twice in a row.
1: It was a bit of a seismic shift, that like a changing of the guard moment, because mm-hmm. uh, before that, even Atlético Nacional won a Copa Libertadores in 2016, there was no large in the final in 2018. Um, I mean, the only Brazilians to have won the Copa Libertadores were Inter in 2010, uh, Corinthians in 20 well. Uh, Santos is won in twenty eleven, but then Corinthians and uh Juan in twenty uh Gremio. But they were all different kind of winners yeah. and it, it felt it, like it was, those teams were coming and going.
0: The Argentine Argentine sides really had, had the upper hand over the Brazilian sides for a good few years exactly. before that River Flamengo final.
1: But since then it it felt like uh that was like a like it's sliding those moments in the sense that it was the end of Argentines dominating the, the Copa, at least, uh, well, even then, the, the following year, River and Boca reached the semis, but mm-hmm. they were uh, soundly beaten in, on both occasions, at least in one of the games. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was kind of the end of an era. Yeah, we've, right
0: we've got a question about, uh, along similar lines to this, in a couple of minutes, so we won't go into more detail now, but just to say that the final of the Libertadores is in Montevideo. Mm-hmm. It's in the greatest stadium in the world, which is the Estadio Centenario? Wait, is it in Montevideo or is it in Guayaquil? I hope it's in Montevideo because I've said it now. Is it in Guayaquil? Yeah. Oh, the the, the Sudamericanas in um, Montevideo, right? Yeah, I think so. Shit, I think it was in, I think it's in Guayaquil. Okay. The, the, the <laughs> Libertadores final. Yeah, I think you, I think you're right. Actually, I don't know why I was going to say Montevideo. Copa Libertadores final 2022... Is in the Monumental Stadium Banco yeah. Pichincha, which is in Guayaquil. So, where's the Sudamericana? Please tell me the Sudamericana is in Montevideo, otherwise, I have maybe no was... idea why that was even in my head. The Sudamericana final is going to be in the Estadio Mario Kempes in Córdoba. I don't know why I was thinking that. For the Montevideo. second year in a row, right? Or something like that. Hmm. Not sure. Was last year's Libertadores final in the Centenario, maybe? Yeah, anyway. yes, yes, yes. Right, that's why I had that in my hand. Anyway, the final is going to be, for some reason, on the 29th of October. We're recording this on the 9th of November, and we are reviewing the semifinals, of which have already happened, 9th of <laughs> September, <laughs> 9th of September. Uh, the semifinals have already happened, and I'm looking at the final now on SofaScore, and it says, in 50 days. Why is the final being played that much further such a long time after the semis are finished that's ridiculous especially yeah. in such a congested calendar yeah. before the world cup rolls around so. like I get that they want to have it late in the year and have this big year ending finale and blah 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 but it's fine FIFA fucked the world over by giving the world cup to Quata. well and maybe for, just... for there to be some space for the club world cup perhaps in the last couple of years there's been like a month between them as well
1: yeah, exactly it's really? just it's ridiculous so they want to hold it right before the world cup maybe
0: No, I meant a month between, like, the semis and the final. of the oh, Doris. Yeah. They keep leaving these massive gaps when there's no need for it. Just two weeks and then play it. You lose a lot of momentum as well. Exactly, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just silly. It doesn't feel the same following it. Um, in any case, shall we get on to listeners' questions? Sure, go ahead. Super. Uh, we have had a few, and I can get Twitter up on this phone. So, they are from Independiente Air in English. Do you guys see, see Gimnasia or Atletico Tucumán actually do this? Hmm. Yeah. Why well, not? On the one hand, as Santi says, why not? Uh, they are, as we've already said, joint top of the table. Um, as it currently stands, Urakan at halftime are drawing their match against uh, Tigre. Mm. So we're going third, which is why I mentioned that just then. Um... But, yeah, I mean, I think they can. I do think, as we kind of predicted uh, when they got knocked out of the Libertadores, that River are going to go on a bit of a tear. And, you know, although River are down in sixth at the moment, they are only four points behind Team mm. and Atletico Tucuman. So I think it's going to take a lot to hold them off. And equally, of course, what we haven't done yet is preview the Super Classico, having said we were going to. We'll do that in a couple of minutes after we finish these questions. Um,. If Boca, who are level on points with River, win the Super Classic, there's no reason they can't get a bit of momentum up as well. They've got a couple of kids who we've mentioned already, um, who are, you know, in good individual form. Even if the team as a whole are looking a bit on and off, um, and both of these teams are teams with experience and with the know-how to win stuff at I mean, domestic level.
1: On the one hand, there's stats,
0: but on the other.
1: Um Atletico Tucuman actually play tomorrow before the well, on Saturday mm. uh, before the Super Clasico against San Lorenzo. And if they win that game, that's going to put because they're playing San Lorenzo. Yeah, that's going to put no, no. San Lorenzo have been proved. Uh, they actually
0: are was, four... actually San Lorenzo have only lost two matches. I was exactly. They, what they've done is they've drawn a hell of a lot.
1: Yeah, uh, they're yeah. actually four points off the Copa Sudamericana Americana spots, mm. which is um, astonishing considering how bad San Lorenzo were doing. A few months ago, but still, the, my my point is that if Atletico win against Saranzo, which, as you said before, even if Saranzo are on the up, they should. That's going to put a lot of pressure, even more so than before, on the Superclásico, be, because it's going to function something like a then a, once again a sliding doors moment. Whoever wins this Superclásico will really leave the other the other side the other side trailing mm. in the title fights. And, uh, but on the other hand, if they draw, that's going to give a lot of, of advantage to Atletico and or Gimnasia to keep pushing forward in their, in their title title battle. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's not even necessarily the number of points that they end up behind the leaders, but also just the number of teams that are in this title race. Exactly. Uh, I mean, if you look at the top... Well, why not? The, the, the top 10, from Gimnasia down to Platense, who at the moment of me reading this sentence to the team in 10th, uh, this might change if a goal goes in in one of the two games that are going on at the moment. Himnasi um, have 33 points, Platense have 26. So there's only seven points mm-hmm. and we've got nine rounds of matches to be played after this weekend. So, y- even if you're only a few points off the lead, you still potentially, as River and Boca are at the moment, could have five or six teams between you and the leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, so you still want to take o- overtake all of those teams. Um so yeah, I can see Gimnasia and Atletico getting into it. Ultimately, I think like I, I feel like if River or Boca or even Racing or Argentinos, who've also got some, you know, only twelve years ago experience of winning titles, and not necessarily with any of the players who are actually there at the moment, <laughs> admittedly, but still it just it kind of feels like if if any of these the top three, the the current at this moment, top three, Gimnasia, Atletico to I Huracan uh, get or I Cruz to the fourth end up being in a title race with a couple of weeks to go and they're in a title race against River or against Boca or against Argentinos you're going to see more pressure ramped up on the team who are thinking this could be our first title
1: or on the other way around you could add even a lot more pressure on River or Boca yeah, or Argentinos I mean, could, because they are losing the championship to a team that has never won yeah, it in the but, professional era.
0: But I also feel like, I mean, for, for River especially, and, and for Boca to a slight lesser extent, but still to a very large extent, it's just like, yeah, this is one more league title. Who really cares? Hmm. It, yeah, know. that's right. Yeah, it's something that has especially already happened the way with... The, the, uh, especially the way that River have treated the league throughout Marcelo Gacharro's time in charge. If you end up in a league. Yeah, but now the league, league titles have become a
1: little bit more important because of the fact that Arsenal uh, has failed
0: uh, in this Copa Libertadores. Yeah, and they need to close out the year with a title. But they won the league last year. As long as they qualify for this year's Libertadores, I don't think River fans will care that much. Yeah, so,
1: that's going I mean, to be an issue. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm
0: sure they would like to win the league, but there's not going to be the whole. It's not going to be like 2011 when it was like, we've got to win the league or we're going to get relegated. kind <laughs> of thing. It's not going to be that whole. Of this, and Mm. I feel I think that the the Gimnasia and Atletico Ducuman if they end up in a title race with either of those two big teams, um, in the last couple of weeks, two or three matches of the season, Mm. the pressure is going to be higher on them because they're going to be like, This is the big historic moment, this is the moment where we can write our names into the history of the club. And if you're in a title race against River or Boca, who but all of whom are going to be like, Yeah, we could win the league right now, and actually, in 20 years' time, nobody will remember our names because we played for River and Boca and we've won, you know, our clubs have won all of this stuff. The pressure's going to be much lower on River and Boca. Oh, that, in my opinion. Right. And when you look at the press, um, uh, and, 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 the,
1: and the last few years and the teams that were uh, seriously close to win championships, they have all fallen at the last hurdles, like uh, Gordecruz yeah. in 2018, Defense in 2019, Talleres last year. Exactly. So, I mean, history is not in the favour.
0: Um, don't get me wrong, I would love it to happen You know, One of the reasons that I now say I'm a River sympathiser rather than a River fan is (laughs) that if Atletico, Tucumán and River are four points clear of everybody else and neck and neck with two games to play, there's going to be a not insignificant part of my brain that's going, come on, Atletico, please do this. Because it would be way cooler if Atletico, Tucumán won the league than if River won the league. And that's why I don't see myself as a River fan anymore. Uh, But ultimately, in answer to the question... I, I can see them doing it, but I think they're going to need to go into the last month of the campaign like with a much bigger league than they've yeah. got right now over the chasing point.
1: And uh, drawing the Superclassico would really, really help.
0: Indeed, yeah. Uh, Perfect Tommy, Tomás Buendía says, could Beca really end up at Boca or is that just Superclassico noise? Now, this is noise I haven't heard any of at all because my head is... Well, Beca really has
1: just quit as defensive officer manager, so that means he's
0: automatically a free agent and, and automatically linked with the biggest club possible yeah and even more
1: so of considering of he's too. really 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 beefing with Marcelo Bajardo as well he really hates the guy oh yeah yeah we talked so, I think we mentioned this in passing a week or two ago so I mean from a Boca fan's perspective think what you will about Becasese. I don't really read him personally I'm not, not a Boca fan either but uh say what you will uh it's going to be really, really, really entertaining to see him on the Boca touchline at the Super Classico going at Gallardo constantly. That's going to be like uh, a great sight for Boca fans.
0: Um, yeah, it, I, I don't know. I think Boca have the right idea at the moment. I'd be surprised if they change managers at this stage in the competition. No, but... they
1: won't change the managers at this stage. They, they've constantly said that they will wait until December, which... I don't think it was the right thing to do a month ago, but at this point, it's pointless to change managers again. Hmm. Maybe they should have done it earlier.
0: Yeah. But anyway. Uh, Wayward from Hayward, who we haven't heard from in a while, so welcome back to our question section, says I'm hearing that this may be Gachardo's last stretch with River. Is that true? I mean, we've been asking this question, for answering this question for about the last five six years at least, of the eight that he's now been in charge um, it's felt like that the whole time, it feels increasingly like that now I don't know Like it's still, on the one hand would not surprise me if next season he's taking charge of Olympique Marseille or Monaco, uh, probably not PSG but you know, yeah, Monaco or somebody like that or, on the other hand it wouldn't surprise me if we got another press conference in late December and he's announcing that he's staying at River for another year.
1: Or it takes a six-year sabbatical or maybe... I Just mean, retires
0: I, from management altogether. No,
1: maybe what's uh, what's also likely to happen is that he's uh, waiting for his chance to um, take the national team job. You think? If, or rather, when Scaloni decides it's had too much of the pressure and uh, quits whatever yeah. the result is.
0: I wonder what, how, how motivated he is by the Argentina job though. That's, that's the thing I think it's really say. motivating on the one hand his best results have all come in knockout competitions so yeah. I mean I, I've said since quite early on in his reign that I think he'd be an excellent national team manager so job that means Argen- good at exactly that kind of but on the other hand I don't know how interesting he'd find it so nice
1: that mean, what you're saying is Argentina are really going to struggle to qualify
0: for the next World Cup Is Marcelo Gallardo is the manager but because then they're going to go on that. and win it Yeah, yeah. quite <laughs> possibly um, Wayward from Hayward also says top five stadiums in Buenos Aires and why uh, I think that we should probably interpret this as meaning in greater Buenos Aires rather than in the city yeah, the of Buenos of Aires, Buenos Aires. Um, so I have not been to the Monumental in such a long time and I haven't seen the remodelling but I am looking forward done, to it being remodelled no I know it's not don't worry, I'm aware of that, but I am looking forward to it being uh, finished. Um, and I think that that's, that is going to be the top one, mm. really, when oh, it's yeah. done. Uh, of the others, sorry, Santi, but I like El Cilindro. No, I, I, agree. I agree. I like it's, the fact it's, that it's uh, got a roof all the way around it. Holds the noise in. Yeah, Fantastic. It's cool. The Cilindro's cool. Um, um, I haven't been, and this is not fist-taking, this is just actual, factually true... I've not been to the Libertadores de America since mm. they finished building the fourth stand. The last time I went there there was still a big gap in one side of it that you yeah. could see the cilindro through. Um, and so I'm not going to nominate it for that reason. But the one that I always say is my favourite, architecturally, if not actually to sit in during a game because it's incredibly uncomfortable, is Uracan. Huracan. Oh Beautiful. yeah, it's it's just been... such a nice design. Uh, yeah that's like the stadium most
1: people will know if, uh, uh, apart from Bogan River
0: yeah I think but the seats are in the main stand at least are literally made of concrete so it's not actually very comfortable to sit in or they were the last time I was there which was a long time ago Um, Tigre is quite good fun and at Tigre the nice thing about that is that the popular the terrace stretches all the way around the side of the pitch so you can pay absolutely piss all to get in and then end up Basically with a ticket on the halfway line If, if yeah. you prefer watching a match From a good vantage point Rather than behind one of the goals yeah, Ar- nice. Argentinos also has a great stadium Argentinos is stadium. certainly the one I've been to most And is definitely um, mm. Yeah, it, it's up there And it's also the stadium that I saw The best match that I've ever been at in Which, again, sorry Sandy. Yeah, I know what you're talking about Was Argentinos for Independiente 3 At the end of the 2010 Clausura? Uh, yeah
1: yeah, it's 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 got a lot of charm that stadium.
0: I, I love the fact that it's almost
1: hidden within the La Paterna mm-hmm. neighborhood. Like you're going through the streets and bam, there's a, a stadium dedicated in it's entirety to the Armando Maradona. <laughs> uh, then there's uh, the Amalfitania as well. I think uh, yeah, it's probably a stadium that's too big for the team it's holding, but uh, still, like architecturally, it's uh, it's a great place to be.
0: Um, what yeah. else on a similar note although obviously without the Maradona dedicated bit but what you were saying you know walking through the, the, the neighbourhood and then suddenly there's a stadium upon you and it's a tiny little one but excursionistas oh yeah i am um, just always absolutely every time I go past it in the car on the bike I always think yes I just it's tiny no foreigner almost, or almost no foreigner is ever going to want to go there uh, in spite of the fact that it's a very, very, you know, perfectly nice area to, to wander around. It's not like it's a dodgy neighbourhood. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I like the fact that there's a football stadium just there.
1: Yeah, I play a lot of six-aside uh, football right next to that stadium, so I, I've uh, grown
0: accustomed to, you know, mm. knowing that area, and uh, it's a really nice stadium as well. And uh, my other nomination, because Wayward from Hayward has not included the word football in his question, mm. is the polo ground. The polo ground? Yeah. Like that? The Argentine polo stadium, La Catedral. uh, Mainly for the trivia behind it. First Mm -hmm. of all, I just found out a few weeks ago that the land that it is built on is still to this day owned by the Argentine army and rented to the Argentine Polo Association Uh, and secondly because it is the only polo stadium in the world that is actually within the limits of a city. The others are wow. all way out in the countryside somewhere. And it's also the largest polo well, station Well, San Isidro
1: is kind of the same thing, right? Yeah, aren't maybe. Like, aren't well. them like uh, in the middle of the city? Okay, that's true. Right?
0: But, you know, it, it's, it's the only one that's inside a, a sizable city. And in yeah. what really, in any sensible city, would be considered some of the most expensive real estate in the place, in, in the country. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I and also it's, like it's to... also by a very, very, very long way percentage-wise, the largest polo stadium in the world. Wow, I didn't know that. It's about 30,000 people, and I think pretty much every other polo stadium is just a polo field with a couple of seats maybe on the side of it. I think maybe this is the
1: country where polo is the most popular by far, I think. Yeah, but the highest nowhere Nowhere
0: is polo as popular as in here. No, I would agree. Uh, Not that it's particularly popular here, we should mention. Just for the avoidance of any doubt... I quite like going sometimes in the spring uh, because it's a nice day out. And you can see yeah, some nice I know they, they, they
1: put a, a lot
0: of bars around as well. Yeah, exactly. And, and you can get a gin and tonic or a Campari or something and just sit in the stands, which is not something that you can do in football. Yeah, absolutely. You, you do obviously have to put up with the fact that all of the people sitting in the stands around you are horrendously rich and wing <laughs> and are the kind of people who go to polo matches. Uh, <laughs> but it is surprisingly entertaining. And also, if you're at a polo match... Uh, the weather is definitely spectacular. Yeah, possibly a little bit too hot. I would also.
1: But... Now that you're talking about uh, non-football stadiums, I've actually got the chance to go a few, a couple of weeks ago to the Buenos Aires Arena for the first time. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Um, which I made me think that this would be like an ideal stadium to hold a basketball game or tennis game or something like that. Okay. It's really big. It's got a lot of. Uh, I'm in the Santos Great. Oh, is at uh, the Moby Star Arena. Yeah,
0: exactly. Oh, okay. The Moby Star Arena. Near Atlantis. Uh,
1: ground, yeah. Right next to Atlantis ground. Mm. Uh I, I found it like I think it was like 25,000 people or something like
0: Yeah, I, I got my sec. I can't remember whether it was my second or my third dose of ah, um, COVID vaccine. Though. Yeah, exactly.
1: Okay. And I found, I thought it, like this is a great stadium to hold a uh, like an indoor sports uh mm. game in uh A I thought it was huge. I thought it was like, really modern. Um, it's got great stance, great visibility. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing place, I think.
0: Yeah, agreed. Uh, so possibly not all of the answers you were hoping for. <laughs> but uh, thank you for asking the question. Uh, Birdie says, Topical, since Central's Buonanotte's failed transfer to the Premier League and the veiled threat from his agent to Patria potestad him away... Do you think there's any way in the future for that practice to die? The law is good and needed, but its perversionary football is worrisome. Santi, you're the football journalist here, so first of all, for the benefit of listeners who don't know what Patria Potestad is, can you explain it?
1: I don't know if this is exactly a case of Patria Potestad, though, because okay. uh, I think this is just a case I, of. Uh, I don't
0: really know what happened. I remember him v- vaguely being linked with like, so Brighton or something, right? Here's, this,
1: here's the situation um, Riccardo Carloni, the. Rosario Central, uh, chairman was arranging a transfer, uh, Facundo Buena transfer to Brighton Mm Hobalpian, uh, from the the start of January for six million dollars with six million in bonuses, which was, uh, well, really, really far fetched bonuses, I should add, which was, uh, uh, it, it um, I if think Brighton
0: qualify for the Champions League in yes, the last two years, yeah, something like that. Something, I mean, it something, wasn't that, but it was something,
1: yeah, something really, really crazy like in that, that. In that, in that uh, vein, which really angered the Rosario Central faithful. And uh, they've uh, protested a lot.
0: Until... Well, what I will state, in defense of the Rosario Central faithful in there is he clearly has not taken a single look in any point in like the last two years. At how much Premier League teams spend on transfers
1: no not at all
0: if, if you're trying to sell a player like Buonanotte for basically for 6 million dollars up front I mean come on <laughs> yeah but the
1: thing is uh, I think Argentina has already been uh, positioned as a market in which the clubs are so desperate for cash that they will yeah, accept sure, any get, offer
0: you get 10 for him easily
1: yeah I mean well, I know he's not a or Boca. but if the thing is Boca, Brazil and the USA Brazil and the USA will offer 10 million not Europe
0: yeah,
1: that's the way things are. And uh, Central fans were not having it at all. I understand them. I agree with you, but they were not having it at all. So, Carloni decided to uh, go back and uh, cancel the transfer. But this really, really, really angered the the agent, uh, Facundo Buonanotte's agent, which mm-hmm. uh, made him... Uh, say on, a, on an interview, like the following day after Carloni decided to reject this this move, that he would uh, run down his contract and yeah. he would live on a free. Which is why I think this is not Patrick Potestad, this is just straight tip, your typical uh, agent trying to convince the player to run down their contract and live on a free. Sure. So I think Patrick Potestad is for under 18 players, yeah. something like that. But, uh, but yeah, I think. Um,
0: under 18 players who have. Uh, or, sorry, who, whose parents essentially, or you know, yeah, they who, get whose family work elsewhere, get a job offer elsewhere. So, it's it's how Lionel Messi officially moved to Barcelona. His dad got a job in Barcelona, in inverted commas, was given a job by the club, and coincidentally, you know, at the same he time, was by Barcelona. they moved to Barcelona, and Barcelona therefore were able to give Messi a contract. Yeah, but
1: I think in this case, even if it was a case of Patria Potestad. I can't blame Patric Potestad for this. This is just uh, incompetence from the. I think this is just incompetence from the from Carloni for giving him such a low release clause. I think it was like two million dollars, something like laughable, oh, well. and for letting him run down his run down his contract on the, on the final year. Mm. So I, I think this is just a case of incompetence from the from the board, from the Rosero Central board, in not uh, looking after such a pre- precocious talent for mm. them and not something that should be amended by law. I think the way you should fix this problem is by being better at your job.
0: Yes, indeed. If you're a football club administrator, then that's the thing to do. Uh, Luis Pessone says, and before I read this out, I will clarify that at the moment that I sent the tweet calling for questions, I thought that Santi and Andres were both going to be here for a single recording. Uh, So that's what I put in the tweet. And Luis says, how have you three, me and Santi and Andres, and English Dan, managed to remain so handsome after so many gruelling Hand of Pod episode recordings. How
1: do you know I'm handsome?
0: Yeah, I don't know how Luis knows I'm handsome either. Um, (laughs) But, I mean, the simple answer to that is that Santi's still only about 19 years old or something. Um, Close, but not close enough. I've I've developed this uh, horrible little patch of spots in the middle of my forehead that hasn't really gone away for about the last six months. Um, And I'm not really sure why. Sometimes it flares up. Sometimes it goes away. I don't know whether I'm still handsome, but thank you for saying it, Luis. Luis says as well, in all seriousness, hope you're all well. It's been too long on my part. Yes, it has. We miss your questions. What's the general reaction in Argentina after two consecutive years of bad Argentine libertadores showings?
1: I think it ranges. Uh, there's some people who are a little bit, like, convivalent. There's some people who are out crying and. Uh, the economic differences and the and differences with Brazil uh, and there are others who are just saying, "Look, we've um, we have an Argentine Argentine team reached the semifinals of the last few Copa Libertadores. We are still competitive. with we've, we've made uh, th- we put three, th- three teams in the quarters this year, so nothing's going on. Mm. There's the all kinds thing of is that
0: uh, I feel like reactions. I think the main reaction that like the majority reaction is always just that. You know, it, it's one thing to follow loads of football journalists on Twitter. It's one thing for us, uh, in our position as a podcast covering all of Argentine football and sticking up for Argentine teams at continental level. The vast majority of fans don't really give a shit whether any other Argentine club does well or not. Yeah, we're not place. like other like, countries. If which... it's not their club, then they don't really care how Velez are doing. They don't care about River or Boca yeah. or Racing or anything. We're a else lot more doing. tribal. In they in just sense. want their team. To do well, it's a bit like asking me how I feel about. Oh, you know, how do you what? What do you think? I don't know. Arsenal are going to do in the Europa League this season.
1: Couldn't care less. No, not only you wouldn't care less. You want you want you would want Arsenal to be on the losing end as much as as much as you would.
0: In Arsenal's case, it would depend a little bit on who they were playing. But yeah, like if it was Liverpool, let's say, then yeah, there's no way that I'm even going to support them against Real Madrid or Juventus. So yeah, so you dislike those two teams
1: exactly. But yeah, I think uh, uh, if you want to talk about the general reaction, I think you will find all all kinds of reaction without uh, having one single um, shared opinion about the uh, the this trend. But, uh, but yeah, I think uh, I mean every every once in a while, when you have uh, such a driving by a Brazilian team like Flamengo, there are a couple like. Um, existential questions about uh, the dominance of Brazilian football but they go away in no time
0: yeah I mean I'd turn around that round and say that the team who are second bottom of the league have just reached the semi-final of the Libertadores and Flamengo only put six goals past them which is two legs <laughs> and Flamengo is supposed to be the greatest Yeah, team but the, the but course. then
1: again you could say that the, that team is second bottom of the league as a result of this Copa Libertadores yeah, no, I'm aware uh, of that but you know still campaign
0: and Liam Kelly, who is no relation to me, gives us the chance to preview the Super Classico. Woo! We're going to put as much effort into this as we have in the last couple of Super Classicos that we've forgotten to preview on our preview episode. Uh, Liam says, A draw is not a bad result in this Super Classico, with a topic on ESPN Argentina. Do you agree or disagree? Um, I think, first of all, that's something that somebody always says before every <laughs> Super Classico. I think that. On the one hand, just as an objective statement, it's, it's true. Like, I have yet to remember, really, a classico in which uh, one team or the other would have actually been, like, devastated at a draw. Defeat is another matter. But by and large, one of the reasons that we spent ages, especially in the first few years of the podcast, talking about why this is such a high-pressure fixture and and why a lot of them for several years really weren't particularly good matches although the last few years have changed that it is that more than anything they want to avoid defeat Mm -hmm. rather than necessarily winning the match they just don't want to give their opponents bragging rights Um, and especially right now when they're 5th or 6th or 6th and 7th or 6th and 8th or something like this (laughs) in the league depending on how many goals are scored in the next 35 minutes of the two games that are going on right now Um, yeah no a, a draw isn't a bad result I do think that, uh, I, I feel like still, even though they're dead level in the league, I think that River are probably slight favourites over Bocca, even though Bocca are the home side as well. But it's going to be very close for and it's, it's two teams of very contrasting styles at the moment as well. I don't well. think I
1: entirely agree with you in okay. the fact that uh, the, a draw wouldn't be a bad result in this specific Superclassico. So who do you think it would be a bad result for? I think uh, it all depends on what happens on Saturday uh-huh. when Atletico took a man face on Lorenzo. Sure. Because if Atletico win, then a draw would be a bad result for both for teams. teams. okay. Because it would mean that uh, Atletico would you know, go even further at the top of the league and would mean more work for River and more pressure for River and Boca to uh, try and go, go back uh, and try to reach them Of course, at the top of the table. You know what you're doing
0: there that the people on ESPN Argentina aren't doing, don't you, Santi? You're yeah. acknowledging that there is other football in Argentina exactly. that's <laughs> taking place this yeah. weekend and that affects the wider picture. Whereas... What ESPN Argentina are doing, and every other media always does, is they're just going, the Super Classical is the thing that matters. After that, sure, do you want to win the league? Oh, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But what you really want to do is win the Super Classical. Yeah, pretty um, much. So, yeah, it. it I, I think it's going to be a good game. I think that both and teams. There,
1: there is a lot of st- at stake, I think, because yeah, uh, if lot there at stake. is both, a win. Both
0: teams have, have come out with. Some, some good stuff and some not-so-good stuff yeah. in They've yeah, They've been, they've been very very irregular. I exactly, think. yeah. Whereas very irregular. Generally speaking, I feel like the last few years, is, it's when we've been coming into it, there has been a very clear favourite against a team who, who have not been doing quite as well. And a lot of the time, it's then gone against the form book. And this time, I don't really know when there is much of a form book um, for it. So I'm, I'm quite looking forward to it.
1: Hmm, yeah, especially considering that... Um yeah both teams have been like uh, completely different teams, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, in a, way, a lot throughout the season once every time you think that uh, maybe Boca or Rio are going to get a streak of results, they suddenly shockingly lose or draw against a much lesser team. yeah so I think uh, there's going to be a lot of stake at this Super Classico and I also think that whoever win are going to really damage the other's uh, title challenges and are going to put the winner right in the right in the mix. Mm. So it's going to be like uh, that. Assuming that someone does win, of course. Yeah, of course, of course. If there is a draw, and, I, and once again, it depends on what happens on Saturday, then things uh, could get a little more complicated.
0: Yeah, Estudiantes have just taken a 2-0 lead against Racing, by the way. Uh, listen to the end of the podcast and I will give you the result of that match and also the result of Tigre versus Huracan, which is currently 1-1. What we're not going to do this week is Mystic Sam because it seems a little bit silly to do so when, by the time this goes online, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of this weekend's matches will already have been played in their entirety. Um, But what I will do is just repeat what I just said a couple of minutes ago, which is that I think the river slight... Favorites uh, for this super classic. I'd make them much more comfortable favorites if it was at the Monumental, but it's at the Bombonera. But the thing is, the thing with
1: the River when you have to—I mean, Boca have the the home advantage, of course, but River have just such a better manager and a lot and such a bigger squad as well. Mm. Uh, But worse, but the Bombonera has a really huge pull in the sense that Boca have found their best form in the Bombonera with such a difference when you convert to their away games which has have been really bad.
0: Yeah, I mean it's quite funny because we were talking just a couple of weeks ago about how Boca haven't been as strong at home anyway. Like they've lost twice at home this season. Yeah, but then they they won like six
1: or seven games. Yeah. Uh,
0: at home. Whereas whereas away they've lost four times. Um they are seventh in the home standings, which by their standards is not that spectacular, but they're mid table away. They're twelfth. Yeah. Um so yeah, exactly. Like the fact that he's at the Bobonair, I think, and the fact he's a super classical evens it up a bit. Mm-hmm. But if it was at the Monumental, I'd be saying that River really yeah. ought to win it. Not that River's record at the Monumental has been as good as they would normally like to make it either. But again, that's another part of the reason that I'm looking forward to it this this weekend. Um Both teams capable of really nice football, capable of good results, and also capable of just. Would you say that Boca are capable of really nice football? No, that's true. That might be overrating it slightly. (laughs) (laughs) Boca are capable of good, effective, efficient football. Exactly, um, and getting good results. So it should be a a a really good game. It's at five o'clock, Argentine time, on Sunday, if you want to watch it, which is nine p.m. in the UK. Don't know what your watching options are. And uh, 4 p.m. if you're on the eastern seaboard of the United States. Yeah,
1: no, no, there's no Premier League football this weekend. There is really no excuse for you not to watch this game.
0: Indeed. Indeed, there is not. Uh, on that note, thank you very much indeed for listening. And goodbye from Santi. See you around, guys. And from me, thank you and goodbye. <laughs> Two full-time scores to tell you about then, Estudiantes ended up beating Racing 1-0, that's a bit surprising for you to hear perhaps, Uh, but the goal that I announced for them a few minutes before we stopped recording uh, was disallowed for, I think incorrectly, uh, for an offside in the build-up, and then they had another one disallowed uh, shortly after for another offside in the build-up, which was correct, definitely. Uh, Racing had two men sent off as well. Um, and in the other match, uh, Tigre versus Huracán, that also ended 1-1. That means that the standings right now are Gimnasia and Atlético Tucumán, both on 33 points. Huracán, having played a game more, on 32. Godoy Cruz have 31. Argentinos have played a game more and are on 30. And then River and Boca are 6th and 7th on 29 points each. And Racing in 8th on 28 points, ahead of the Super Superclásico.